Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Chapters 20 through 23 of the Monologium contain a line of argumentation that Anselm is engaging in about God or the divine substance and space. He's also touching on time, as we've talked about in another core concept video. And he's doing so in a parallel way because the ways in which God is related with time are parallel to those in which God is related to space, and, and they can really be understood as uh, connected with each other, although the lines of argumentation, as Anselm will say, do diverge from each other. Now, the discussion of space is a little bit more contained. It's, it's not spread out through quite so many chapters, just chapters 20 through 23. And I think it's a little bit easier to wrap your head around than the discussion of time, in part because space is easy for us to visualize and time requires a bit more work of the intellect or the imagination on our part. So the question that Anselm is concerned with is the following. What is the nature of God in relation to space? And he starts out by asking in chapter 20, does God exist everywhere? He says actually everywhere and always, somewhere and sometimes, or nowhere and at no time. And he wants to eliminate the nowhere and, and the somewhere. And he does so in, in chapter 20 by, by pointing out that if God exists nowhere, then we've got a problem because things are ontologically dependent on God for their very being. As you know, you can check out the video in particular about uh, participation. This is something that Anselm does think that if God isn't somewhere, then how can anything literally be there? And it's not going to work to say that God is just somewhere and not somewhere else, because if that's the case, then God is, you might say, leaving that place in the lurch as well. So he says, you know, since no good thing exists without him, if he exists nowhere, every good thing exists nowhere. If he exists determinately somewhere and sometimes in some place, it's only in that place where and, and when also that he exists that anything can exist. So if we want to say, look, we know the thing exist, that's experientially a starting point for us, and we can move from space to space. God, as this fundamental, you might say, undergirding principle of being, has to also be there. So the questions that then arise are concerned with thinking this out further. We know that space is, on the one hand, continuous, but it's also divisible and discrete, so that here is not the same thing as this here. It's the same thing even with virtual space, right? You saw me move from one spot to the next, and it's a different spot on your screen or whatever you're watching this on or imagining in your head. But, you know, even with virtual space, you can't have two things generally occupying the same spot at the same time. Or can you? Well, that's something we're going to have to think about. So he goes on and he says, you know, God is not a composite. Right? Why does he bring this up? He says, does he exist as a whole everywhere? This could be understood in two ways. Either he exists as a whole, all at once, in all places, and by parts in individual places, or he exists as a whole even in each individual place. So would it make sense to say that 
a bit of God exists over here, and say causes a being of that over here, then another bit of God is over here, and another bit is over by you, and so on. Anselm says, no, because we've already seen that God is perfectly simple, and actually to be a composite being is, in a way, uh, not as good as being a, a simple being. So that's not going to be of the nature of God either. Now, that then seems to raise another problem, doesn't it? Because, okay, so if God is not a composite, he has to exist as a whole everywhere. That means that God exists as a whole here, and God exists as a whole here, and here. Now that seems to raise some problems as well, doesn't it? You notice that with each of these, a solution leads to yet another problem. Does that mean that God then exists as an individual whole at every sort of individual place? And Ansel was going to explore this in considerable detail, but the answer is no. But let's take a look at that, that argument. He says, if he exists as a whole in individual places, individual wholes exist in individual places. Just as one place is distinct from another place, in such a way that they are individual places, what exists as a whole in one place is distinct from what at the same time exists as a whole in another place. How can we model this? Pieces of chalk. Whole piece of chalk is right here, right? Well, at least the piece of chalk that's left. Smaller piece of chalk, this whole piece of chalk over here. We want to assert that these are the same thing. I mean, you can see right now. They're not the same thing, right? And you can see that they're not the same thing, not just because they're different length or something like that. Let's actually pick one that's a little bit closer that would be a little bit more plausible. They're not the same thing because this one's here and this one's here, right? That's the logic of, of spatial reality as we experience it. This hand is not the same thing as this hand. Even if I put them together and try to smush them in, they're not occupying the same space. They're distinct individual things. Does this mean, then, that the God who's over here as a whole, is distinct from the God who is over here as a whole, it might seem to imply that. And that would lead us to not just, you know, say four or five gods, it would lead us to having the entire universe being pervaded at every single point by a god of that place and space, right? And Anselm wants to avoid such a conclusion because, you know, you think of the absurdities involved. So he says... If something exists as a whole in a given place, there's nothing of that thing that does not exist in that place. This is why, when we're thinking about created things, we assume that they have to be different from each other if they're in different places. He says, if there's, there's something that's here, everything that's there has to be there and not over here. So he says, therefore, if something exists as a whole in a given place, there's nothing of it that exists at the same time in some other place. So if something that exists at the same time uh, so if something exists as a whole in a given place, how can that whole exist at the same time in some other place if nothing of it can exist in any other place? This is a problem. So he goes on and he says, since one whole cannot exist as a whole all at once in individual places, it follows that if anything exists as a whole all at once in individual places, it exists as individual wholes in individual places. So this would mean that the supreme nature would be, in effect, split up. There would be as many, he says, individual supreme natures as there can be individual places, and that doesn't make any sense. So what, what's the conclusion of this? God doesn't exist in every single place. As a matter of fact, you can apply the same logic to every single place, and so you can actually say that God exists nowhere. But wait a second, isn't that a problem? Since we've just been asserting that God exists everywhere? How can God exist everywhere and exist nowhere at the same time? 
Well, this is where we get to chapter 22. And in it, Anselm is going to carry out a move that he does over and over again through his works, very important distinction-making, where he'll say, we made an assumption we're not really entitled to make, and then extrapolated that into something else. So when we think about created beings, the beings that we experientially encounter, do most of our reasoning about or talking about, the logic that he's elaborated here does indeed hold. But it doesn't for... The divine, and he, he even implies that it might not apply to some other things as well. What is the issue here? He says, perhaps the supreme nature exists in place in, in a way that does not prevent him from existing as a whole all at once in individual places. But not so there are several wholes, but only one whole. Why? This law of place and time seems to constrain only those things that exist in place or time in such a way that they do not transcend the expanse of space or the duration of time. We're interested in the expanse of space. So he goes on and he explains this in terms of space, and he says, It seems correct to say that a thing has a place only if its quantity is circumscribed by a place that contains it. Right? My hand has a space. It's here because there actually is a place that contains it. Now it's over here, different place, similarly containing it. So he says a thing has time in the same way. If something is such that its size or duration is not set against any boundary, whether by place or time, no time or place properly applies to it. Since no place does to it what place does, we may reasonably say that no place is its place. So this is what allows us to say that, literally speaking, according to one way of thinking about it, God isn't in any individual place. And yet, God is also in every single individual place everywhere. He says, no law of place anyway constrains a nature that has, that no place encloses in any confinement. So what does this mean? What is the upshot of this for the supreme being? He says, if that supreme essence is said to exist in a place, even though that very same expression is used both of him and localized or temporal natures because of our customary way of speaking, there is a different meaning because of the dissimilarity of the things themselves. When it comes to, here's an important distinction he's making, when it comes to localized or temporal natures, they are present at the times and places in which they're said to exist, and they are contained by those times and places. We associate those two together, being present and being contained. Anselm is saying that, yes, for all those things, that, that actually does apply, that identification is legitimate. However, in the case of God, or presumably anything else, along those lines, while he is present at every space, he is not contained within that space. Why? Because God actually encompasses every space, is entirely present at every space, and you might say, as Anselm does, thereby pervades every space. Or you, you could say interpenetrates every space. So he goes on in chapter 23 and he says, it's better to understand God as existing everywhere rather than as existing in every place. 
What does that mean? He says, the supreme nature does not exist in all places any more than in all existing things, not as if he were contained by them, but because he contains all of them by pervading them. Why should we not say him to exist everywhere in the sense that he is understood as existing in all existing things rather than merely as existing in all places? And Anselm says, this is really the right way to think about it and to talk about it. And he says, we often quite properly use place words for things that are not places and are not confined with any boundaries of place. So he uses for an example of this, saying that understanding is there in the soul where rationality is. Is the soul a location, a spatial location? No, but we use this spatial language, this metaphorical language, in order to, to make sense of that. So he says, there and where are place words, yet the soul does not confine anything and understanding and rationality are not confined with any boundaries of place. So even more so for the supreme nature, he says, the truth of the matter is the supreme nature would be more rightly said to exist everywhere, so that he is understood as existing in all existing things, rather than as merely as existing in all places. So it's, it's a very important distinction that Anselm is making. He's not saying that logic doesn't apply to the divine nature or the divine substance. He is saying, though, that the logic that we apply to created things by which we identify or conflate containing and presence doesn't actually apply it to the divine and leads us astray. So if we can get rid of that mistaken way of seeing it, we can wrap our heads around what it would mean to say that God exists everywhere and also at the same time, in a certain way, nowhere. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.